Well, hey guys, back here in the studio, Gangland Wire. This is your intelligence unit detective, Gary Jenkins, retired former. Guys, we're here with Tony Toke from Down Under. He is our expert on mob lawyers. We've done several in the past. Tony, we did Oscar Goodman last. And what did we do before that? Oh, we did Roy Cohn. And today we're going to do Frank Regano. And guys, there's a heck of a book out there, Mob Lawyer. If you want to know a lot more about than what we're going to say about Frank Regano, get this book that he co-wrote with a really highly respected, well-known mob historian, Selwyn Robb, wrote The Five Families, I believe was his kind of his, his premier work. And so it's called Mob Lawyer. So Tony, let's talk a little bit about how he got started. I was reading the book and it looks like as a young lawyer down in Tampa, Ybor City, there's a lot of numbers racket or bolito going on. And as any young lawyer, he starts taking some of these low level cases, probably in city court, more than likely that's what it would be here in Kansas City, or maybe the lower level of the associate circuit court, taking on some of those. And I believe Santos Tropicante took notice of him. What do you remember about how he got into this business of being a mob lawyer? Well, Frank Regano was born in 1923. He grew up poor in Tampa, Florida. His parents were working class uh, Sicilian immigrants. He actually fought in the Second World War and he received a bronze star for bravery. Mm. After the war, he went to the University of Tampa and Stetson Law School on the GI Bill of Rights. He clerked for the Florida Supreme Court and was admitted to the Florida Bar in 1952. Now, during his stint with the Florida Supreme Court, he attracted the attention of a Pat Whitaker. He was a maverick criminal defence attorney in the Tampa area who was a go-to lawyer for local mobsters. Now, Whitaker took Regano under his wing and encouraged him to start his own practice and promised to refer him work. His big break came in 1954 when Florida mob boss Santo Traficante and 34 men were arrested on gambling and bribery charges. This was in connection with the whole Bolita operation that you just referred to, I think. Whitaker represented Traficante, who was quite because Regano was quite young at this point and most likely because Traficante was his most important client, he wouldn't want to give him up, but he referred uh, 28 black men who were runners for the Traficante gambling network to Regano for legal representation. Now, the defendants were acquitted or their convictions were overturned on appeal to the Florida State Supreme Court. Now, because of this... Regano's name started to appear regularly in local newspapers and he started to get a steady stream of clients connected to organised crime. So that's how he got his start. But more importantly, he gained the confidence of Traficante and he also had the added advantage of being of Sicilian heritage, which meant that he knew the rules. In other words, keep your mouth shut and don't ask too many questions. Now, Regano kept Traficante out of jail and served as his legal advisor. As you're no doubt aware, Traficante had significant 
gambling interests in pre-Castro Cuba, like many other mobsters of that era. In the wake of the Cuban revolution in 1959, Traficante was arrested by Castro's men in Havana and was scheduled to face the firing squad. Mm. As soon as he heard about it, Regano flew down to Havana and arranged for him to be released from custody. Traficante then recommended him to other significant mob bosses or mob-connected bosses, such as New Orleans mob chief Carlos Marcelo and the Teamsters boss, Jimmy Hoffa. Regano was hired by Jimmy Hoffa when he was in court on union corruption charges in the early 1960s. In fact, Regano was at Hoffa's side in Nashville when a man burst in and started shooting at Hoffa before Hoffa managed to punch the man across the courtroom. Now, that scene was portrayed in that recent movie, The Irishman. Around this time, Regano started to broker loans from the Teamsters Pension Fund in return for a finder's fee. It went something like this. If a mobster in, say, Florida or Louisiana wanted to legally invest in something like a hotel or restaurant or trucking company or some other business, the banks, more often than not, would reject him on account of his unsavoury background or convictions or associations. This is when Regano would intercede for the mobster and the Teamsters would loan the money from their pension fund to this mobster or mob associate for which Regano would get a tidy kickback. Now, this is when the lines start to blur. He goes from lawyer to fixer and he becomes like a go-between for this triangle of Traficante, Hoffa and Marcelo. And this is when Robert Kennedy was Attorney General and he was out to get these three. He was their sworn enemy and made Regano a very busy man. At the time, Regano was blinded to everything by the fact that he was making a truckload of money and living the high life. He dressed very well. He hobnobbed with celebrities. He was on top of the world as far as he was concerned. Now, notwithstanding the fact that he was considered by the authorities to be house counsel for the mob. He was actually a brilliant lawyer. In the courtroom, Regano was brilliant at reaching jurors and planting reasonable doubt in their minds. For example, in 1972, he was representing Henry Hill and Jimmy Burke down in Tampa. The men were portrayed in the movie Goodfellas, and actually this was also portrayed in Goodfellas. They were charged with extortion, kidnapping, and attempted murder. This is when they supposedly took a guy to the zoo and threatened to throw him into the lion cage. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that happened. I think that was embellished for the movie. <laughs> he employed visual effects, which involved picking up a pencil and moving it slowly from side to side, like a pendulum in front of the jury. And he said something to the effect of, if you find that the evidence causes your mind to waver and vacillate between guilt and innocence, guilt and innocence, guilt and innocence, then you haven't been convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. And mm -hmm. it's your sworn duty to find the defendants not guilty. Now, that just sums up the concept of reasonable doubt so well. Oh, boy. That was brilliant. Brilliant. Yes. He was also quite charismatic and crafty in the courtroom. For instance, in one case, he took advantage of the fact that three of the jurors were chicken farmers, 
by saying that the state's case was as weak as chicken soup made from the shadow of a starving chicken. Now, the jurors burst out laughing and acquitted his client. But eventually, his tenacious representation of the mob bosses started to cause him serious problems. In 1971, he sued Time magazine after it published a photograph of mob figures in New York that included Regana, and they mistakenly identified him as a mobster. He was quite offended by that. The federal government saw him as nothing more than a fixer for the mob and started to thoroughly investigate his tax affairs, as they tend to do when all else fails. In the early 1970s, he was prosecuted for, among other things, failing to declare a capital gain that arose from a business transaction he did with a trafficante associate. He was convicted of five counts of fraud, conspiracy, and tax evasion, and he lost his license to practice law. During his legal woes, he was completely abandoned by trafficante. And he talks a lot about this in his book. He feels very betrayed. Trafficante just expected him to fall on his sword and refused to help him. Regano was very disappointed and spent several years in destitution. And he was working as a paralegal during that time until he managed to get reinstated to the bar in 1981. Now, when he went back to the bar, he kept his distance from organised crime figures, especially Trafficante, because he obviously felt betrayed by him and others. And he managed to build a successful practice for a while. He took on various high-profile murder trials and other criminal trials, but he just couldn't escape his past. Just when he thought he was out, just pulled him back back in. Just when he thought he was out, they pulled him back. And, you know, he was really well-known by the national mob up in New York City because of that incident where they took that picture. That was 1966, and it was kind of a famous incident. It's called the La Stella Restaurant Incident. And somebody tipped off the New York Times and then Post, and they sent photographers down there. And there he was having lunch with Traficante, Carlos Marcello, Carlos Gambino, a couple of Gambino's guys, Neil Delacroche. I'm trying to think who else. Joe Colombo was there. I mean, there were some biggies there that day that he was hobnobbing with. There had been a trial going on. Actually, it was after the Appalachian meeting that they were still hashing that around in New York courts. And he was up there to defend Traficante in that, I believe. This point in time, later in his life, they all knew who Frank Regano was and would have trusted him. I'm surprised that he quit representing people. And it's quite possible that that photograph gave him too much publicity. And that's what, because if you think about it, shortly afterwards, that's when the IRS started to investigate him for his Uh, tax affair. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, I see. The publicity triggered by that photograph might have led to his downfall or his first downfall. There were two downfalls. (laughs) You'll see that later. (laughs) So now now, we're going to get to that. we got to talk about the plot to kill Kennedy and his involvement in talking about that. So I just wanted to remind you that we got to get to that point. So go ahead. Well, when he released his book, Mob Lawyer, in 1994, in that book, if you've read it, he claims to have relayed the order to assassinate President Kennedy from Jimmy Hoffa to Santo Traficante and Carlos Marcelo. He also claimed that shortly before his death, Traficante confessed to him his involvement in the JFK assassination. Namely, he told him that he regretted killing John Kennedy. He should have killed his brother, Robert Kennedy, instead. Now, Traficante's family vigorously denied 
Regano's allegation and produced hospital records to show that Traficante wasn't in Tampa at that time. Now, a lot of people dismiss the claims in the book as self-serving and designed to promote his book and create a media sensation. But there are others like G. Robert Blakey, who was involved in the House Assassinations Committee, who do give weight to his claims. So who knows who's right? So Interesting. Yes. About Hoffa. See, he was really close to Hoffa, and, and I think he warned Hoffa, I believe. Didn't he carry a message to Hoffa and say, you're getting in trouble? So then also at the end of that book, I noticed he describes the scene that day when they pick up Hoffa and take him off to be murdered as if he had firsthand knowledge about it. I was really surprised about that. Yeah. And again, people think that he made all these sensational claims in his book to get the publicity and get it released because he was quite broke at the time. Yeah, He had been barred and convicted and served jail time in the early 1990s. This arose out of a second case he did for Santo Traficante. Now, in the early 1980s, Santo Traficante was indicted on charges that grew out of a $2 million FBI sting operation conducted between 1979 and 1981. Traficante was the last of 12 defendants to be indicted by a federal grand jury in connection with the sting operation in which Traficante supposedly was working with the New York Bonanno crime family to set up gambling operations across Florida. Now, this was depicted in the movie Donnie Prasco. The trial had been repeatedly delayed by the defence, who said that Traficante, who by this stage was in his 70s, was too ill to stand trial. Now, a desperate Traficante came to Regano because he was very unimpressed with his lawyer who was acting for him at the time and pleaded with him to defend him because Traficante, as I mentioned before, had kept his distance from him since he got reinstated to the bar. And Regano was very reluctant, given his previous experiences with Traficante, the way he discarded him when he had his tax problems in the early 70s and he refused to help him. But ultimately, Traficante relented or, who knows, maybe he was threatened. Regano argued that during the case, when he took on the case eventually, he argued that the case was primarily built around hearsay testimony about by statements from Bonanno crime family member Dominic Sonny Black Napolitano. Also, he was depicted in Donnie Brasco. Now, Napolitano was found dead with his hands cut off in 1981 because of his connection to the whole Donnie Brasco affair. Now, in 1986, a judge granted a defence motion to acquit Traficante on the grounds that the evidence was too weak. This was a real egg in the face of the authorities who had spent millions of dollars pursuing this case. Now, according to Regano, and he talks about this in his book, the same federal strike force prosecutor who lost the trial that he had against Santa Traficante instigated a second tax investigation, which ended with Regano being convicted of tax evasion again in 1990. Now, this time he was disbarred and sentenced to just under a year in prison. Regano, like I said, after he got out of prison, he released Mob Lawyer. He made spectacular claims which caused headlines in some tabloids all over the country in 1994 when the book came out. 
But he had an amazing career. It was a roller coaster ride. It was full of highs and lows. No doubt he was a great lawyer, but ultimately his association with the mob caused his downfall twice. Yeah. It's a sad tale. Probably that and his greed, especially when he was getting into that Teamster money, getting those kickbacks from those loans. That's the same thing they were doing with Kansas City and Alan Dorfman and Roy Lee Williams and some of those other high-level Teamsters that were loaning money out to casino owners in Las Vegas and Chicago, IUPA, and we were all in Kansas City, we're all getting kickbacks from those loans. So that's exactly the same setup. I don't know. I wonder how much money was made off that Teamsters pension fund nationwide, worldwide, even from kickbacks from those loans they made. It's crazy. Well, the funny thing is Las Vegas probably wouldn't have been what it is if it wasn't for those Teamster loans. No, no. Backstage in the 1950s, banks were very uncomfortable with giving money to businesses starting up casino operations or anything involved with gambling. So in a way, they created Vegas and they made it what it is today. So, yeah. But Regano just got too close. He couldn't draw the line. Those kickbacks, I think, weren't a good thing. He was becoming too aggressive in his fight with the government. He took it personally. He felt like he was also targeted. And ultimately, as you know, under Robert Kennedy, the government became 10 times more aggressive in pursuing organised crime. So it was quite dangerous to be a mob attorney. And there were others during that period as well that were also investigated and targeted because I read a book recently about... It's called Vendetta. It's about the relationship between Jimmy Hoffa and Robert Kennedy. It's quite a good book. And a lot of lawyers stopped acting for these figures because they found that as soon as they took on an organised crime client, they became scrutinised and their tax affairs were investigated. Mm. They decided to just move on. But in Regano's case, it destroyed his career on two occasions. He decided to get home with it and destroyed his career. Interesting. I have a question. We kind of go back in the middle of this. When he represented him up there in Niceville, I believe, was that a union corruption or is that where they got caught bribing a member of the jury? There's some kind of jury bribery up in Tennessee that Hoffa was involved in. Do you remember that? Yes. I believe that was the test fleet case where there were trucks there was a some kind of trucking company. I think it was in the name of Hoffa's wife, and it was oh, receiving yeah. kickbacks. Yeah. To that effect. But I think you're right. I think a juror in connection with that case was bribed. And then Hoffa was subsequently tried on that charge. And I think that's what he got convicted for and imprisoned for, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was. Uh, Regano was a pretty good lawyer, but he can't beat everything. When they start beating themselves, best you can do is minimize the damage, as we say, in the legal business. That's right. I didn't put much stock in the version portrayed in The Irishman about his disappearance, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know what views were about that. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I've read so many different things, and, and I got caught up in, in some little controversy between when I was in a documentary talking about it. Guy got mad at me for what I said. He was mad about what he said. But like I said, Dragano describes it in detail. Of course, he picked this up from other people that Chucky O'Brien brought his stepfather, Hoffa, to the location. They drove away with him and took him Somewhere else, somebody held a gun on O'Brien, and then these Brulios 
took him off to kill him. So I was kind of somewhere along those lines that he was described it like he was there, which was <laughs> kind of bad for a what's supposed to be a nonfiction book. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. All right. So I don't know. Got anything else to say about Frank Regano? I don't know if he ever actually represented Carlos Marcelo. He might have advised him or helped with some representation. No, he didn't. Actually, Marcelo had his own lawyer. He had kind of a friend. Yeah, he had kind of a friend who was his regular lawyer. Mike Maroon. Hmm. Mike Maroon was his his lawyer from from Louisiana. He was with him all the way through, and he even went down to Guatemala when he got deported and thrown in the jungle. Oh, yeah. That's right. He did. Yes. (laughs) Yes. By Robert Kennedy, which was illegal, by the way. It was illegal. I I know. He just got a plane yeah. and came back after a little vacation down there. <laughs> That's right. But, I looked um, into that story once to get the real story because a lot of rumors out there about how the government just dropped him off at a little airstrip out in the middle of the jungle and his shirt sleeves left him there, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't quite that way. You know, that arose because Marcelo was using a fake Guatemala birth certificate because he was born in Tunisia and he wasn't an American citizen. Hmm. So he was using a fake Guatemalan. On that fake Guatemalan birth certificate. And then I see, and then they deported him to Guatemala. (laughs) But the thing is, the government knew that birth certificate was fake. Yeah. So on those grounds, they shouldn't have deported him because if you know a document's fake, you don't act on it. (laughs) Really? (laughs) So that's what made it illegal, yes. Well, Bobby Kennedy did not let such niceties as the actual legality of action get in his way when it came to the mob, if I remember right. That's right. (laughs) They had wiretaps and bugs all over the place off the book. The ones that you use as a source, (laughs) you know, source number T3 told me this when it actually came off of a a wire or a microphone or something. But it wasn't until 1970 that the RICO... Right. Came out. Yeah, 68. The, the Omnibus Crime Control Bill of 1968. It was this overarching yes. thing was passed out of all the fear after the riots in the 60s and civil disorders and all that. And they revamped everything and kind of codified some of the narcotics laws. And they threw that Title Three law in there. Finally, it's Title Three is what they call it. Anytime you hear an FBI agent talk about they did a T3 or a Title Three, it's a wiretap or a bug. But that's when it came into play. They actually don't have an equivalent legislation in Australia, really. something equivalent to RICO. So it's much harder to prosecute here in Australia. Hmm. They don't do prosecute they- organized crime. Do they do no, wiretaps? Do they do wiretaps? Oh, they now? do wiretaps, definitely. Absolutely. But you can't prosecute an organization the way you can under RICO. Oh, okay. You don't have the RICO uh, yeah. statute. No, no, no. They have to be prosecutors, individuals or co-conspirators, but mm-hmm. not as a whole organization, Yeah, which makes it a lot harder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That RICO is a ball buster for these guys. Everybody said, well, what happened to the mafia? And I say, you know, RICO primarily and good electronics and RICO. And that was it. That and draconian sentences between those three things. You could. It's pretty hard to fight as a lawyer, too, because they just keep adding charge after charge after charge. And eventually something's going to one of them is going to stick. So. And all you need is one storyteller to kind of tie it together a little bit. And then when the guy's looking at life in prison for something and, and he can walk, 
he's happy to be a storyteller many times. All right, Tony Toke, our down under friend. Tony's a lawyer down in Sydney. So if anybody down there has a traffic ticket, hey, Tony, I just did a traffic ticket today or I was working on one today <laughs> for my granddaughter. I quit practicing law, but I, I, I was just working on today. Got an offer back from the prosecutor. We're going to keep her out of jail. But she's going to have a hefty fine. She's doing an 80 mile an hour and a 55. <laughs> that would cause automatic suspension. And with it, yes, we're gonna pay a hefty fine and get a non-moving violation, and she has to do a year probation. So a little bit different. That may be the last traffic ticket I ever do. I wouldn't have done it except it was her. <laughs> All right, Tony, I really appreciate you helping me out with working on these mob lawyers. We've got some more coming up. What do you think we ought to do next? I was thinking maybe we go back to the nineteen twenties, prohibition uh, era. Okay. I'm not sure if our viewers are interested in that. Who was uh, Have you heard of uh, Capone's lawyer for that big case? That was a hell of a case. I did a whole show on the trial. There's a lot of details about the trial, but I can't remember the lawyer. The tax evasion trial? I think yeah, the his, his main trial. lawyer was O'Hare. Oh, yeah, it was. The guy they named the airport after, O'Hare. Yes, and they actually named the, the airport after his son. His son was a the pilot. The son of O'Hare, okay. That's right, yeah. And I think William Fallon was Arnold Rothstein's lawyer. And Sam Leibowitz acted for Al Capone on a number of occasions as well, the New York attorney. He represented a lot of mob figures in okay. New York. And he represented, yeah. But well, that, we'll see. That, and I'm trying to think in modern times, we probably need to do Bruce Cutler one of these times if we can find enough information yes. on him. Nobody's done yes. a whole story. but Actually, uh, yeah, Bruce Cutler would be a good option, actually. Okay, well, we'll talk about it. Tony, I really appreciate you coming yes, on. Yes. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no worries. All right, you guys, you know what I always say now. If you got a problem with PTSD or got a friend that does and you've been in the service, go to the website of the VA and get that hotline and you can get some help there. If you got a problem with drugs or alcohol, I suggest you get hold of our friend Anthony Ruggiano. He's a counselor down in Florida. He's got a hotline number on his website. It's anthonyruggiano.com. Just start looking for Anthony Ruggiano. He's on YouTube, too. That would be pretty cool. Have your alcohol drug counselor be a made guy or formerly a made guy. And don't forget, I like to ride motorcycles, so watch out for motorcycles when you're out there. And I really appreciate you guys listening, like, and subscribe. And you might do a review. If you're on the Apple podcast, give me a review. Share it with your friends. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Tony. Thank you.